Hello coaches, thanks for joining me on another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mullins. Today I speak with Anthony Nguyen Pham. Anthony has covered a lot of ground during his time in college tennis. He played at NAIA Baker University, got a start in coaching as a GA at D2 Drury, moved on to be a head coach of both the men's and women's teams at D1 Niagara, transitioned to the assistant coach position at D1 Purdue and then the associate head coaching role at D1 Wisconsin. He recently moved from Madison to Boulder to take on the role as assistant coach of the University of Colorado women's team. In this podcast, we discuss some of the similarities and differences between coaching at the different divisions and levels, his thoughts on the limited diversity within the coaching ranks, and what career advice he would provide young minority coaches looking to carve out a career as a college tennis coach. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony. Anthony, thank you for joining me on another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, definitely uh, listen to the other ones and uh, excited to, to chat with you today. Yeah, very good. I've got uh, some of my questions are a little long winded here, Anthony, so we might have to <laughs> break right. down a little bit or I might all have right. to re-ask some of them, but I'll, I'll try. I think uh, our coaches will, will follow along pretty well. But just you played your, your college tennis at NAIA Baker University. You started your coaching career as a GA at D2 Drury. You then went on to be a head coach of men and women at Niagara, which is a Division One college. And now you're at your third Power Five um, assistant women's coaching position at the University of Colorado. So you, you obviously have a, a variety of experiences there, a, a lot more than a lot of coaches, but how do you think your experiences between the divisions and coaching different genders has made you a better college coach? Yeah, I mean, it, when you uh, when you list those schools, it, it's actually kind of crazy, uh, you know, for me to kind of think about. Yeah, um, I guess my evolution as not only as a, as a player, but as a coach. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I talked... I had this conversation with a lot of other coaches who kind of, um, you know, maybe have taken a less, um, you know, straight road to kind of their, their current position and, um, you know, coaches who have, uh, I guess you can say quote unquote, pay their dues. And, you know, we always just talk about like how we feel that much more prepared now, uh, you know, in our current positions. Cause I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you know, as uh, you know, assistant or head coach at a uh, Division One program like Colorado, um, you, know, you have. I mean, obviously, you're wearing a lot of hats still, but compared to you know what I was doing um, when I was coaching at Niagara, where I was coaching two teams, and I had you know, like I had one part-time assistant, it's it it really pales in comparison. Um, you know, here it's you're asked to you know, to really coach the team and you know do what you can to help. Um, you know, develop the players, you know, on and off the court, obviously, you know, help support them, uh, you know, in their daily, daily lives. But, um, yeah, you know, working at Niagara, like I said, I, I wore every hat possible. Um, you know, I was, a uh, so I was in charge of, uh, scheduling, you know, coaching the team, you know, uh, planning practices, uh, recruiting, uh, booking vans, booking hotels, booking travel, uh, fundraising. Uh, we didn't, ha- we had one academic advisor at the university for like 15 sports. So obviously I did that too. We had one strength coach. I, you know, I was the primary strength coach. And so, 
you know, it's just one of those things that's, um, you know, I just feel so much more prepared now. And, um, and yeah, like I said, I, I can just focus on, uh, I guess the, you know, the, the really important thing is, and that's the players. Um, and, you know, you know, being at a big school where the resources are just so, so vast, um, you know, I feel obviously very fortunate, uh, but I also, you know, I just, I think it's, in, it's been ingrained in me to kind of like to continue to count every penny almost, um, mm-hmm. you know, at, at Niagara, we have our, our budgets were so small and, you know, you had to really make your dollar or stretch your dollar. And here, um, like I said, even though we have great resources, you know, I'm still very, very mindful, um, about, you know, how we're spending our money and what we're doing and those types of things. Yeah, I I can definitely relate to that, Anthony. As I started at, at DePaul at the time, we didn't have a, a lot of uh, resources, and then end up at the University of Oklahoma with just ridiculous amount of, of resources. But that kind of s- sticks with you, right? I mean, that I don't want to say penny pinching, but watching every dollar, and then also just being so grateful for for what you do have. I mean, I remember being out, kind of sweeping the courts before practice, and the facility guy is looking at me, going. <laughs> this guy's nuts. you know what are you what are you doing but it's just you just yeah you learn um to take care of, of every single aspect of your program and uh take take nothing for granted so it's definitely it's it's one path it's not a path for everybody but it is yep. uh there is something to be said for for really starting with those humble beginnings and, and i think it translates well to uh to the rest of your career. So tell us a little bit, why did it make sense for you to leave your head coaching role at Niagara to become the assistant women's coach to do? Yeah, it was just one of those things. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. Like I got into college coaching. Um, I, I kind of backed my way into it. It wasn't something that I, uh, plan on doing. I was a, I was a biology major as an undergrad and I was headed to med- medical school um, and, you know, we had some issues, I was just issues, but, uh, the year following my graduation from college, my mom passed away and it was, you know, it was one of those things that was really tough on me my brother, my, my dad, unfortunately passed away my, my freshman year of college. So it was, you know, there was a lot of things that, that happened that kind of, um, made me change my view on things on life. Um, and, I ended up, like I said, like you mentioned, I ended up going back to graduate school as a GA. And at the time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I just caught the coaching bug. Um, and, you know, getting the opportunity to be a head coach at such a young age uh, at Niagara was was a fantastic, fantastic experience. We uh, like we talked, you know, I learned a lot. Um, and it was just one of those things, you know, I spent six years there and you know, we won a conference championship and I. I just felt like uh, I did all I could do there. Um, we had a you know a great team, you know, like I said, great great players and uh, you know great great relationships with those players. But I felt like I was just kind of new, ready for a new challenge. And um, you know, being at a, a Power Five school like Purdue, uh, where the uh, you know, we had great facilities and obviously a great academic reputation. Um, you know, it was just another challenge for me to, to kind of take on and obviously, uh, learn, uh, from, um, a, uh, very well versed and experienced coach like, uh, like Lord Litz. So it was just, a, it was just a great opportunity and something that, um, like I said, I, I felt like, uh, I was needing at that point in my career. 
Mm -hmm. And so with your original plans to go to medical school, is that just something that you felt was ingrained in you kind of as a teenager and thought, well, I just have to be on this path. And I like tennis. I love tennis, playing tennis and competing, but the being a, a college coach was never really on the cards. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, being raised in a, uh, in a Asian American family, um, you know, my parents, so I'm first generation, uh, you know, my parents immigrated here in, uh, 75 from Vietnam, like right after the Vietnam war. And, you know, I think, um, it's just one of those things that they had it so tough when they came here, they had nothing. And, you know, for, I have an older brother for me and my older brother, it was, it was an opportunity, you know, they pushed us to, to, you know, obviously be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, something like that, where, uh, you know, I think for them, they felt like us being able to, um, to take on a job like that or a career like that, you know, once they were gone, you know, we were going to be able to support our, our, our families and, and be well off, but also just going to be able to, to flip uh, things within one generation, you know, they, they, they had to work so hard to make ends meet. Um, you know, they left, uh, you know, their, their home and settled in a new country. Um, and they just, like I said, they just didn't want us to, to have to kind of go through those trials and tribulations. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of that, you know, wanted me, me wanting to be a doctor was, uh, you know, for my parents, but also I, I, for me personally, like I've always enjoyed, helping people. You know, that's like, I'm, I'm mm. all about relationships and I'm all about like, what can I do to help, you know, uh, this person. And I think through high school and college, I felt like, you know, I, I, I kind of had this tunnel vision where I felt like the only thing I could do uh, as a career to help people was be a doctor. And like I said, I think, um, you know, with my mom passing away, it kind of made me reevaluate things. Uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, my parents pushed me and my brother to, towards those, those, those specific careers, but they ultimately wanted us to do what was going to make us happy. And I think I realized that, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the medical school, um, doctor route ultimately was not going to be something that made me, uh, happy, uh, you know, uh, for the rest of my life. And like I said, that's when, you know, going to grad school allowed me to, I ended up getting my master's in education, but it gave me some time to figure out what it was that I really wanted to do. And uh, like I said, I was, I was fortunate to, uh, to be able to, to coach this and just kind of caught the bug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well done on, on having that self-awareness and, and making that that change. And, and it sounds like it's worked out pretty well for you. So well done. Um, so there's there's coaches outside of, of Division One, and, and I speak to, to many of them weekly who would love to coach at a Division One institution, whether it's a head coach, associate head coach position, assistant coach position. But they don't really believe it's possible because they were not a top ranked player at a power five school, you know, all American awards, all the rest of it, maybe ATP, WTA rankings. So what career advice would you give to that coach? Yeah, you know, I think it it's one of those things, um, you know, if you like, I should say, like, if you're passionate about tennis and college tennis and, and you know, the relationship component and, you know, really um, you know, your players are your priority, I feel like you will get noticed. Um, 
you know, I think we, we chatted a little bit yesterday about, you know, the ITA convention. Um, I think you're really doing a good job of networking, um, you know, going out there and, you know, whether it's at a convention or just reaching out to, to other coaches um, who, you know, you respect uh, and just kind of letting them, know, letting them know, like, hey, look, this is where I'm at right now, but this is what I would like to ultimately get to. You know, is, is there any advice you can give me? Uh, because, you know, I think it's, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, working in um, collegiate athletics, sometimes you can feel intimidated uh, by other coaches, um, you know, the, the, you know the, the veteran coaches who've been doing it a long time and who've been very successful. But at the end of the day, like they, uh, most of those coaches, I think, are, are, are great people where they want to help others. And um, you, you, you can't be scared to, to, to reach out to those people and, and kind of, like I said, uh, you know, let them know what you, know, you need help and, and uh, you know, ask for any advice. And, you know, I think, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is, you know, they tell you like, hey, um, you know, this is what I would do. Um, or maybe they don't, you maybe you don't get a response, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things like don't be afraid to, to reach out and there's just so many opportunities out there. Um, I know it's tough nowadays, uh, the coaching world is so competitive, but there's so many opportunities when it comes to, you know, working a, a summer camp, say at a, at a big school, um, you know, getting to know a coach or, or volunteering at, at, a, at a, you know, a specific school. Um, I know that's not always easy because it's, it's tough to, to make ends meet, but there's so many schools now that have, uh, you know, academies that attach to it, or you, know, you can teach at their indoor facility. So I think, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, uh, it, but don't don't be afraid to 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 reach out to other coaches and and ask for advice or ask for help because I think uh, most coaches out there are more than happy to to provide that. And Anthony, can you give any examples of how maybe you went about that? Whether it was at a convention, um, you know, whether ITA convention or USPTA or something else, um, or picking up the phone or contacting. You don't necessarily have to name names, but how did you go about it? And, and maybe that's something somebody else can replicate. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I remember. So when I was working at Niagara. Uh, I used to work at a at summer clubs, uh, country clubs uh, during the summer um, up in the Northeast, uh, you know, in New Jersey and Connecticut, just to kind of supplement my income. Um, you know, so I would I would work Niagara from you know from August to to May, and then from May to to August, I, I'd, I'd find a, a club job. And one summer, I was working um, at a club in New Jersey, and uh, I got a call that you know there was the like a high performance camp that was going on actually just, just down the road. And, you know, I, I asked my director, Hey, you know, is it okay if I, you know, you take a, uh, take a week off so I can go work this, uh, this camp. And, uh, fortunately she was like, Oh, that's, yeah, I'm more than happy for you to, you know, to take for you to do this. So I spent the week there and, uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, a, a veteran college coach who was out of uh, coaching at the time, uh, was coaching at, uh, this camp and, you know, uh, me and, and him just could started talking. And I told him, you know, I was, I was coaching college tennis and, uh, you know, I picked his brain and asked him, uh, you know, what he did, uh, in his coaching days, what then allowed him to be successful. And like I said, we just became good friends, uh, very close. He's back now back, uh, coaching, um, college tennis and, 
uh, you know, we continue to, to chat almost, almost weekly. Um, and, you know, he's kind of been a mentor for me. Uh, you know, I, I chat, like I said, I, I ask him about almost everything uh, when it comes to you know, the team relationships and, you know, scheduling all those things. And um, yeah, it, it's crazy. You know, like what that one, that one interaction that I had with him, it's kind of blossomed to like sit into a, a relationship, um, a mentorship. And uh, that's, you know, that's kind of where I, I, I talk for other coaches. Like uh, you have opportunities, take them, you know, if it's, if it's a camp, it's a one week camp, if it's a summer camp, because you never know how, um, you know, those interactions with those coaches, how that's going to lead into something else. So for me, I was very fortunate, uh, like I said, with that, that interaction that, that week um, really kind of uh, led to a, uh, a friendship and, like I said, a mentorship that, that, uh, that is still uh, present to this day. Very good. And some of the, we've already discussed a little bit around your experience at Niagara managing both programs, um, you know, and the, and the differences. But I guess the question I'm trying to get at here, Anthony, is just having coaches understand, you know, what the different roles are, are about at the different levels and things like that. So what are maybe some of the challenges you face as an associate head coach at a Power 5 program? Because I think a lot of people just assume, oh, well, you know, you, we've talked about the resources and it's all, God, it must be so easy to, to coach at these places. And in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. But can you maybe talk about um, what your kind of day-to-day looks like and then some of those challenges that you face? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's also kind of how you frame things. Obviously, there's going to be challenges, um, you know, no matter where you're at, whether you're at an NIA, NAI institution, whether you're at the high school level, uh, you know, D3, D2, D1, uh, like you said, R5. It's, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about the players, right? It's about putting them in the best position to be successful, uh, off the court, on the courts, and then preparing them for uh, life after college. Um, you know, I think at a smaller school like Niagara, you're uh, because you're wearing so many hats. Um, it sometimes can you know that focus can can go away a little bit, meaning uh, because you know you have to spend time uh, booking vans, uh, booking travel, buying equipment, uh, scheduling courts, all those things. Um, that you don't necessarily have to do you know, at a larger school. It can take away your focus a little bit from you know, the time you would have on the court with the players. Uh, yeah, at, at a larger school, uh, that's the great thing is the focus is solely on the players, on the team, um, and helping them be successful. But what comes with that, obviously, is, is some added pressure. Um, yeah, the expectation, I think, is at almost every Power 5 school is you should be, uh, you know, nationally ranked in the top 50, top 40, and you should be making the NCAA tournament uh, year in and year out. So I think, um, you know, being at a bigger school, that 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 pressure is just kind of inherent. And, um, yeah, we do definitely spend a lot more time on the court, uh, you know, with the players, you know, doing individuals and, and uh, you know, team practices and um, obviously the weight room and those types of things, fitness, all those things. So I think, you know, the – it's a good thing, um, like I said, you know, that you can really focus uh, with the players on a daily basis, um, you know, with their individual sessions and those types of things. But at the same time, like I said, it, just know that, you know, there's going to be some added pressure, you know, with, with the added resources, you know, the facilities and 
you know, the nutritionists, the psychologists, you know, sports psychologists, all those things, uh, you know, the ADs and the associate ADs are expecting, uh, you know, results as well. Mm-hmm. And with that additional time that you're able to spend with the players, have you found that they maybe take it for granted compared to some of the other places you have been where you've been spread a little thinner? Um, or is it just person by person? Is that an unfair generalization? I mean, I think that's a really good question. Uh, I feel like, you know, I, I think in general, as coaches, you know, we have to kind of bring it back um, sometimes and, and, and remind the players, uh, you know, that we are very lucky and very fortunate to be where we are. And even as coaches, um, you know, we, like I said, with the resources we have available and, it's just something that I think, you know, for me, I, I find myself you know, chatting with the players all the time. That's, um, you know, we, yeah, don't, don't forget that you were pretty lucky where you're at. You know, I think, um, we were so, we're so used to just kind of living in this small bubble, right. Where every day it's like, Oh, I got to get up and I got to get up early. We have individuals, we have fitness, we have weights, and then we have team practice and, you know, I've got, I've got class and I've got an exam and it's really easy to kind of fall into this, this trap or this hole where it's, you know, woe is me. Oh man, I've got, I'm so busy today. I can't do this. I don't have time to do this. And, um, you know, just reminding them like, Hey, you're pretty lucky. You know, like you're literally the 1% of the 1% uh, in this country, in this world, they get to do what you get to do. And, you know, for most kids are on, you're on a scholarship too. So, um, yeah, I think to answer your question, I think sometimes do kids do take it for granted because, uh, yeah, they do have so much available to them. Um, you know, I, I look at it too, it's kind of like, you know, being, uh, whether you say you play tennis in like Arizona or Southern California or Florida, or, or maybe you're at an academy where you're playing tennis, you know, eight hours a day, um, you could sometimes take, you know, maybe five or six hours of those eight hours off because you're like, oh, you know what? I've got eight hours. I'll go hard for those, you know, the last two hours or something like that. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, someone maybe who's in uh, a cold weather state, you know, like in the Midwest or the Northeast where you know, their core time is that much more limited, you know, where they maybe only practice three or four hours a week or five hours and you know, they really maximize those hours. So I think it's, 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 it's on us as coaches to always continue to remind them like, Hey, value, every minute, you know, you have on the courts. Uh, I know you have other things going on in your life and, um, you know, like, uh, but, you know, when you're here, try to really be present and really value it so that we can maximize, um, you know, our time on the court together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, switching gears a little bit, Anthony, in, in one of our previous correspondences, you'd mentioned that you had experienced quite a lot of diversity in the junior tennis ranks in Southern California growing up, but that diversity hasn't necessarily filtered its way up into the college coaching ranks. Where do you think the disconnect is in your opinion? No, that's a good question, Dave. I, I, I don't know if there's like one specific reason. Um, you know, obviously every university, uh, big or small, is going to hire to their, their needs and their fits. Um, you know, and that's, that's where it gets, you know, I think it always gets a little complicated. Um, yeah, growing up in Southern California, I mean, you know, you, you go to a junior tournament, it's, it's, it's very diverse and you, know, you have, uh, lots of Asian Americans playing, you have lots of, uh, 
you know, Latino, Latina kids playing. You have uh, African-American kids playing, uh, kids from all walks of life. Um, and, you know, it's great. You know, and like I said, growing up and you go to I go to play a tournament and that was just normal. And I think, uh, like you mentioned, you know, sometimes now being in uh, the coaching ranks, uh, you show up at a tournament and you look at other coaches and uh, sometimes it, it can feel a little uh, you know, disheartening that it isn't as diverse as you feel like it could be, because I think tennis is such a, a diverse sport in general. You, you look at the, um, you know, the professional ranks and uh, there's, you know, men and women from all all walks of life, all countries represented. Um, I think uh, we're doing a better job, you know, the USTA and the ITA, you know, as of late, the last couple of years of, of really um, helping, uh, you know, with the mentorship programs, those types of things. Um, and, you know, and for me, like, I think, you know, being one of a handful of uh, you know, Asian American coaches at the division one level, like I, I feel it is my, uh, you know, my job, my duty as well to try to help uh, others and let them know that like, Hey, look, this is a viable path. You know, that being a college tennis coach is, is a fantastic uh, thing to do. I mean, it's a great career. I know you, you did it for many years, Dave. And mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, I wake up every morning and I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm, I'm pumped to go to work. Uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to, to get to do what I get to do. Um and, you know, just kind of like I said, just uh, you know, hopefully being uh, somewhat of a trailblazer um, for others and letting them know, like, yeah, this is this is a great path. It's it's a great career opportunity. There's so many things you can do. Uh, it's so enjoyable. Um, uh, I mean, is it a perfect job? Absolutely not. But I mean, I'd rather be doing this and, you know, a million other things. That's for sure. Yeah. And so early in your career, Anthony, did you feel intimidated did you lack any belief in pursuing a career in college tennis due to the limited diversity you know as you're as you're looking around coaching against other teams or even as as a player yourself did you um have some doubts that this was a viable option for you and and i guess even today do you still have concerns uh, you know if you want to go back to to being a head coach um, do you worry that you'll be overlooked because there are so few Asian American coaches in our, in our coaching ranks? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty like optimistic person. And, and, and I'd like to think that, um, like I mentioned, schools are always going to hire, uh, you know, based off qualifications and, and who they feel, you know, best fits their needs and that, yeah, you know, race, skin color, um, you know, sexual orientation, those types of things like never really hopefully come into play. Uh, but I think I would be naive to say that it, it doesn't. Um, you know, I think early on in my career, I to be honest with you, I, I don't think this is something I ever noticed. You know, I was just so uh so worried about my my team, my program, you know, uh, coaching two teams that that was my only focus. Mm-hmm. And then I think as I kind of started to uh, progress in my career and, you know, coach at, at, at the larger schools, that's when I started to notice this. You, you, you like I said, you show up at, at these uh, larger uh, national tournaments and you kind of just look around and, and you do notice that, you know, there is a little bit of a uh, disparity when it comes to a diversity. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's, you can either sit and complain about it or you can try to help, uh, you know, elicit some change. And, you know, for me, you know, talking with other, uh, with other coaches, 
that's kind of what we've chosen to do. You know, it's like, like this is the way it is now and this is the way it's been for a while, but what can we do to help uh, bring some more diversity into the coaching ranks? Um, you know, like I, I know talking with you and I, I think you've, uh, you've really helped in that as well is that, like I said, it, it's not about just talking. It's about like, what can we do to, uh, to elicit some action, some change. So, um, you know, talk is cheap. Uh, you know, what can we do? Uh, what are some, uh, actionable items that we can actually move on and, and try to help, uh, uh move that, move that, that chain and, and, and bring some more diversity. Right. Right. There's been no shortage of committees through the years and sure, sure. <laughs> uh, lots of, lots of people getting around a table and, and talking, yep. but, uh, lots of meetings about, uh, you have meetings about meetings, right? Right. right. When's our next meeting? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, just kind of staying on this vein then have you, have you yourself personally experienced any discrimination at any point as a college coach, whether that's from athletic department, student athletes, recruits, opposing head coaches? And if so, how did you handle that situation? You know, I, I don't think, you know, once again, and maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like, uh, you know, I, you know, I've been pretty fortunate that I haven't had to deal with any of that. Um, you know, when it comes to the coaching world, um, I know I can speak to one instance um, where I was, this is when I was coaching at, at Niagara and we were playing an opposing team. And so most of my, uh, this, this is what the men's team, most of my players were international and we were playing a team that on that given day, um, whenever they would win a point, they would yell USA, USA, USA. And, you know, at first we were just like, okay, you know, they're just they're very, they're very patriotic. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we started to kind of hear them mutter certain things, uh, you know, kind of under their breath, like after a point where they would say stuff like, you know, go back to your country, um, you know, you don't belong here. And I was just completely appalled. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember talking to their coach afterwards. I was like, but, you know, we're never coming to play you again. Like, I can't believe you allow your players to, to act a certain way. Um, and, you know, and he just kind of played it off. He's like, oh, you know, they're just having a tough day. I think you may misheard them. I mean, I was, I heard them very clearly. Like I said, it wasn't just one person. It was multiple players. And, you know, it was just, it was just one of those things that, you know, I had to talk with my guys after the match. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm sorry that you guys had experienced this. Um, and I should have done a better job of, of uh, you know, making a point during the match about not allowing those types of things to happen. Um, but it was, it was just, it was just so cr- uh, cringeworthy um, that I, I think at the time I was just so shocked you know, to hear it. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I don't know uh, why, uh, you know, those things happen. You know, I, I wish they didn't. And I, I think, you know, having experienced those things, um, and seeing kind of, you know, some of the stuff that's happening in the world now, it's, I've learned that, uh, you know, you can't be silent about those things because, you know, if you're silent then you're, you're, you're somewhat complicit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as people, you know, it's whether yeah, it's happening to, you know, Asian Americans or, or Hispanic Americans or African Americans, like you have to, when you see something or you hear something, you have to be willing to call it out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, and you know, not only for your sake, but for the sake of others, like you have, you know, we have to do a better job of looking out for our fellow, you know, brothers and sisters, and and not be uh, scared, uh, and and being silent when it, when you know when those types of things happen. Mm. And I guess you know if that scenario comes up where uh, a coach is playing, you know, they're playing an opposing team. Uh, I've experienced this where the crowd and there's some fraternity boys or whatever eating their pizza and, and, um, you know, saying just horrific things to, to, to my players. And I remember one of my players, a Asian American player and looking back on that cause, cause we were losing, you know, obviously I was kicking up a fuss about it, but sure. we were losing. Yeah. I, Cause I was pretty close to just pulling my team off the court and going, I'm never coming back here. This yeah, is yeah. disgusting. But because we were losing, I was like, well, I don't want this to look like sour grapes. And this was a way of avoiding a loss. And I felt like I was stuck in this, this uh, middle ground, but looking back on it now, I would have just taken the team and said, we're out of here. Good luck. Yeah, but, yeah. but I don't know. Is that the right response? How would you, if coaches find themselves in that position, how do they respond in your view? That's a good question. I, I, I think, you know, I, I hope I would, you know, would, would never be put in that position again. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, what you mentioned, maybe, maybe pulling them off the team, you know, off the court, and, you know, I, you know, might might be the the right way to go. Uh, I, once again, I don't I don't know if there's a right way or wrong way, but I think mm -hmm. just showing your players and showing the opposing team and showing you know whoever there is present, like this is not acceptable. You know, and I think uh, you know protecting your players is 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 of the utmost importance. And then also not only that, but like you know teaching them, you know that's a teachable moment, right? Like look, you know if, if this ever happens, like you know, we need to be able to stand up for ourselves and not, and not just sit there and just take it. Right. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, if you just sit there and take it, people are, they're going to continue to do it to you. And you have to kind of, uh, like I said, you have to find a way to, um, to defend yourself in that position, uh, you know, situation. I don't know, you know, I'm, no way am I advocating any sort of violence, but it's just one of those things you can't just, uh, just sit there and, and just be silent. Um, you know, you have to, yeah, you have to, uh, to stand up for your for your team and for your players, and, and you know, even more important, you have to stand up for your your morals and your ethics. Right, right, yeah. And I'll never forget. I'm uh, the coach. I mean, so I, I'd let my associate AD know what had occurred, and um, they had called uh, the his you know counterpart at the university, and yep. I get an email from the coach saying, "Hey, why 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 did you tell your associate AD? Why didn't why couldn't we sort this out between us?" And it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, coaches need to take more responsibility. I mean, I know it's, it's not his fault. The fraternity guys are there and they're saying these things, but uh, I, I don't imagine it was the first time that had sure. occurred. Um, yep. So, you know, but anyway, it's, it just uh, coaches on both sides of it need to um, take responsibility and, and yep. flush that and, stuff out as quickly as possible. So, and it would have, it sure would have helped if, if that, opposing coach would have stepped up and said something uh, you know, at, at that time, you know, and just squashed it. Right. Like then right. it would have gone as the, you know, as, as out of control as it did. Right. It was, it was telling them to be quiet rather than kicking them out and telling yeah. them don't ever step, you know, a hundred feet within this place ever again. Exactly. Exactly. You know, anyway, <laughs> we won't spend too much time. On yeah. that, but yeah. it, it definitely, uh, 
disappointing that those things uh, have happened, but hopefully they're occurring less and less and, and people are waking up to some of these things. Um, but uh, so lastly, what, what advice would you have for a young Asian American coach out there who would like to have a, a long career in this industry and, and is maybe looking to you as a role model? Uh, you know, like I said, I, I think you know, that there are uh, opportunities for, you know, whether it's Asian American or like I said, African American, any, you know, any, any coach, whether they, you know, whatever uh, diverse background they, they come from, uh, there's plenty of, of opportunities out there. Um, and like I said, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great uh, job. It's a great career. Um, you know, and if, especially if you are in it for the right reasons and, you know, the right reasons, like I said, are, are, you know, the relationships with the players and, and, and wanting them to, to be successful uh, in their time here, but also preparing them for life, uh, you know, after college. Um, but, you know, don't, like I said, don't be afraid to reach out to other coaches. Um, you know, myself included, we're, you know, we're always happy and we're always open to, to, um, providing any sort of advice um and there's like i said there's so many opportunities don't be afraid to uh to volunteer for a year or to be a ga or um like i said to, to get a job at a summer camp uh you know at, at a university uh it's about getting to know these coaches and, and letting them know um you know that you are passionate about college and this and like i said you are passionate about uh you know the student athlete experience uh because you know, as coaches, like we notice those, those people, we notice those things. And you know, like, for me, I know uh, when I meet people like that, like I want to help that person, you know, like I'm more than happy, more, more than willing to do whatever I can to, to make sure that that person is, uh, is getting the opportunities that they, they should be afforded. Yeah. Your spot. I'd never heard it put like that, but you absolutely do know who those younger coaches are, right? They just, they stand out and, yep. And like you said, uh, you have that conversation and absolutely you'll, you'll do what you can to help them. And, and that's happening all the time. And it's just, uh, I guess, having the, the courage to, to get that started. Uh, us older coaches aren't as scary as you younger coaches may think. But uh, <laughs> So moving on, Anthony, to a rapid fire round. What, what is a book that's made a major impact on you as a coach? Oh, wow. I mean, a lot of good books out there. Um, I would, I would probably say Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm. Uh, I've read that a couple of times. Um, I actually just re reread it again uh, during, uh, during uh, I guess, the last year during quarantine, during COVID. Um, it's just one of those things I think it, it helps you not only as a coach, but in, in all walks of life. It's about, uh, you know, trying to build good habits and trying to find ways to, uh, you know, eliminate some of the, the challenges and maybe more bad habits you have in your life. And, uh, it's like I said, it's, it's life-changing. It's a great read. Uh, and it gives you, uh, you know, some, some very, uh, easy real life, uh, experiences, ways to kind of, uh, implement, uh, you know, building new habits in life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that book. Uh, what is your favorite drill? <laughs> favorite drill, huh? Um, you know, I, I, I'm, someone who just likes to compete a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, most of my, 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 my drills are, are competition based. Um, I like playing, uh, this is a kind of a simple drill where you kind of feed the ball up the line 
and like the first couple of balls have to go cross court. So it's, you know, it's kind of like simulating a, uh, a situation where you change direction and, you know, first off that first ball that your opponent is going to have to go cross court. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's a lot of running. It involves a lot of running, but like I said, it also involves a lot of, uh, you know, um, real match uh, situations. So that's, that's probably one of my more favorite drills to do with, with the players. Okay. Uh, name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, whether it's in coaching or in life. I think uh, keeping perspective on things. Um, you know, that's like I said, I mentioned earlier, it's something that I remind the, our players and I have to remind myself, you know, I talk to my wife about this every day. Uh, you know, me being a new new parent as well, is, is just really keeping perspective on everything. Uh, that includes, uh, you know, wins and losses. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you're a young coach, you're so focused, like I said, on on uh, on your team and your program and, and trying to win as much as you can. And of course, like, that's why I think we're in uh, college athletics is, yeah, we want, we would like to be successful. We want the players to be successful and win. But at the end of the day, uh, we know winning and losing is not the most important thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're doing things the right way. Uh, is our, our effort uh, where it needs to be? You know, we're representing ourselves the right way uh, and the university the right way. So I think per- keeping perspective on things is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite quote? Um, I'm a big John Wooden fan. Um, so, you know, he's someone that uh, I've kind of always uh, revered and idolized. Uh, he's got a quote that says, uh, be quick, but don't rush. Um, I, I believe those, that's the quote. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, don't rush things, but you know, obviously be efficient, uh, do things the right way. Mm-hmm. And then do you have one lesson you hope your players have learned by the time they graduate? Yeah, I think for me, it's 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 really doing things the right way. Um, you know, I'm I'm. I'm someone who's always been very driven by my my own personal moral and ethics, and uh, you know it's something that I hopefully have uh, you know let my players know as well. You know, from that standpoint, it's like like I mentioned that yeah, we want to win. If we're going to win, you know, we're going to do things the right way. You know, if, if things are ever in question, um, you know, we're going to make the right decision, and you know, it's just one of those things too, like. Yeah, I feel like sometimes as college players, we feel like, you know, we don't get the uh, the exposure, you know, some of the larger sports get, but we have plenty of fans that come to our matches, you know, people watch us at practice and it's, you'd be surprised how, how often people are watching you, uh, you know, as, as a player, you know, whether it's you know, when you're practicing, you're playing or whether you're just kind of uh, in your, your daily life. And, you know, I've gotten plenty of emails from, from people who are like, you know, so and so, we met them at the market or or you know at the gym or whatever. And they're just such a great person. You know, they were very nice to us, my family, my kids. And you know, as a coach, I think that just that just warms your heart. Um, so yeah, just just doing things the right way all the time, uh, whether you know there's other people around or not. Always doing things the right way. Yeah. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for all your thoughtful answers today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our coaches will too. 
Thanks, Dave. Yeah, really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks for all you do for uh, the college tennis. Definitely.